peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. I'm staying Shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. I am your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. It is my pleasure and privilege to be doing so. Thank you all very much. We are going to be on the UAP Experiencer program with Steph once again returning to speak about UAPs and UFOs seen over the Gulf of Mexico and specifically the Gulf Coast of Texas and localized onto the Houston area. The fourth largest city in America located directly I believe only 90 miles directly from the Gulf of Mexico itself, but having a satellite city, Galveston, also Pasadena, and subsequently an influence that stretches across East Texas, being literally the crown jewel of the Gulf Coast of Texas itself. So, without further ado, we're going to be jumping onto that program I have several accounts to read, several accounts to read, we're going to be trying to have a lot of fun with it, sharing these just as accounts and testimonies, and not delving into the secret space program SSP significance of these events, as well as posturing too much into the realm of my own experience remaining, at this point, a ufologist in this realm, in this world, not necessarily having to always be the confessor of my own experiences or the whistleblower of these underground black project military programs or trumpeting that I am a survivor and carry with me my post-traumatic stress of having to deal with my lab experiences, extraterrestrial encounters, including combat, as well as enslavement, solar warden, and even the longing psychological attachments to the extraterrestrial intelligence that is the Ashtar High Command. So thank you all very much in advance. We're going to have a great conversation. Stick around for it. The next sound you hear will be 
UAP experiencers, Steph, speaking with yours truly, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, about UFOs over the Gulf Coast of Texas, the third coast, close encounters of the third coast kind. All right, thank you all very much. There we are. Awesome. How are awesome. you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Looking so amazing. Nice to see you. Looking amazing. You too. Thank yeah, you very much. You, you're in the garage still set up, yeah? This is actually a uh, constructed apartment. I'm putting up the interior right now, but we have the floors already laid down and the uh, electricity wired. So this is going to be where I'm going to be living in the next couple of years. So basically rebuilding a, a complete, um, you know what they call it, flipping? Flipping a place where you break it down from the bones yeah. and we put everything up to spec and, and, uh, and everything. It's a really old property, but the wood was still great. And it, I think it was built in the 60s. But it's a great cool. little back apartment. It's got a bathroom, kitchen, uh, one bedroom, and uh, of course the living room we're in right now. But I've already done the floors, stained them and everything, uh, basically put the insulation wiring, and um, all I'm working on right now is the piping for the bathroom, then I'm going to put all the fixtures in, and I'll actually be able to stay back here once that's done, but until that bathroom's done, I only use this for a studio. But yeah, taking my time, one paycheck at a time, I buy, I buy what I can, uh, put in the time I can, and everything, and it's been a labor of love, but I've only started since, uh, when did I start this, February? February of this year. So, yeah, I mean, the property's been in our possession for a long time, but we would just use it for storage, to be honest, and it was pretty weathered. But, no, it was a labor of love, but just getting the floors restored back up to their luster, staining them, getting the uh, the house basically cleared out and, and letting it breathe again. And, yeah, it's, it's got a lot of love still left in it. I'll try not to move my head too much to the right right here. Brad, well, that's awesome, and I look forward to you, know, you keep continuing to develop that and, and turning into something even more incredible for you. So you have like the proper space where you can be zen and mm -hmm. focus and get all your stuff done, and you know have it all be proper because you deserve to have that. You put you put in so much effort towards this. I mean, I really look forward to having you have that all. I think, I think it's something that people forget that, um, you know, you have to put a lot of, like, work into your habitat and work into your surroundings for you to be really, like, you know, I don't know, for me, it might be too masculine for a lot of people to understand, like, I'd rather build my own cabin than live in, like, an apartment complex where I had no, oh, yeah. I couldn't even paint the walls or and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you had no say in the property, you can't cut the grass, you can't do anything with the property, but you just pay rent to it. I'd rather go in the woods and chop down trees and, and build a, uh, you know, a, a, a lean-to first and sleep out there while I'm doing it so that I can appreciate my place and have that kind of, uh, at least ownership, at least that entitlement to it, you know, that feeling of accomplishment and not just be like, oh, yeah, I just walked into a place and signed, like, paperwork and now I, I moved my stuff in here. I didn't even move my stuff. I hired movers and they lifted all my possessions right. and, and things like that, like... So, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I this, going into, like, a film, but, yeah, how are you? How have you been? Exactly, like, this is going yeah, into, how, how are you? Yeah. Of course, no. And there is pride and ownership, too, in doing it yourself. So, I think that that is uh, awesome. I, I strive for that myself. I think it's so. weird. We just jumped into this great conversation about, about home ownership and, and 
you construction and do-it-yourself, like, you know, exact repairs and stuff. No, we're here to talk about UFOs and UAPs. And, <laughs> and don't forget... We're don't real forget people, it, yeah. though. Exactly. We're going to spend we're an hour talking people. about... We're going we're gonna to spend an hour talking about, <laughs> about how to home repair it. and do-it-yourself. Do no. Um, have a great conversation lined up for us. Um, um, cool. we've been, I've been researching uh, on my time about the Gulf of Mexico and Texas-specific UFOs. Like I told you last, and on the MUFON database uh, specifically, but also a lot of databases uh, regarding testimony and eyewitness statements. A great blog is Monsters and Phantoms, or if I'm saying it incorrectly, Phantoms and Monsters. That might be a type of dyslexia acting up, but it's Phantoms and Monsters and Monsters and Phantoms. Uh, Lon Strickler is the uh, proprietor of that blog. It's, it's old, it's legendary. It's got hundreds, if not thousands, of posts from people who, all over the world who have uh, contributed to it, um, as well as his own research that he's added to it. And there's a lot of great UFOs uh, accounts on there. I got two from there. Um, and I also got a couple from just history, historical accounts that I believe are obscure, but they shouldn't be. One involving an uh, Air Force crew on a bomber that was off the Gulf of Mexico, off the Gulf Coast of Texas, and the other being a account that's known best as Mexico's Roswell and has a connection to my home city that I'm currently in, Corpus Christi, Texas. And so it'll be my pleasure to kind of uh, answer any questions or at least, uh, you know, provide that these experiences, these eyewitness testimonies in, in terms of uh, what I've researched and what I think uh, Texas has to provide in terms of UAP experiences and UFO experiences. I believe it's a hotspot. I believe it's as active as California or New York State or Florida. And I believe that uh, the popular opinion of Texas is, is warming up to UFOs. Uh, Houston was voted number four on uh, the cities with the most UFO sightings, for example, with uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, being number one, but number four being Houston, Texas. So, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Okay, hold on just a second there, Michael, because I need to... I didn't realize that I need to purchase this plan, and it looks like I did not realize that this was not being recorded. Oh, no. Today, today, shoot. So, we're not recording yet. Hold on just a second. Okay. Because I'm looking at my plans on StreamYard, and right now... It says recording is a premium feature. How did we record before, though? Oh, that's... We, I have it recorded. That's odd. No, I, I don't use StreamYard. This is, uh... I've used it before with other podcasts, but I thought it was always just a free service, like, uh, Zoom. That's what I thought, too. Hold on just a second. I also have Zoom. So it says... Okay. Yeah, I have Zoom, so... Jump on... Yeah, we can jump on Zoom. If we want to jump on Zoom, that's fine, too. I thought because StreamYard was a... just, like, a Zoom competitor. I thought it was just like a, like a alternative that people sometimes use. Yeah. Pre-recorded streams, recording six-hour stream. Mm-hmm. It says if I upgrade now, it's two hundred and forty dollars. Oh no 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 no! Yeah, let's go on Zoom because I know Zoom has a record option, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's go on Zoom. Whoa, that sucks. Okay. Okay. Oh, Do you absolutely. Want to send me a link. Yeah, okay. yeah. Let me jump on Thank Zoom you. and then I'll send you a link right. on um, email. Yeah. Alright, we had a little snafu right there. Oh, a little snafu. We do a little trolling, we do a little troll. <laughs> going live, we're going 4chan, that's what we do. 
Let's go on zoop, zoop, the zoop, 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 zoop. Let's go on zoop, zoop, zoom, 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 zoop. Let's go on zoop, zoop, zoom, 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 zoom. Let's go on zoop. That's what I was thinking. I was like, uh, that seems like a that three-letter interference. That legendary three-letter interference. Chinese hackers probably backdoored the the, the streamyard. I don't know, Michael. I, you you would put up the flag though. I will say, and that's why I'm drawn to you though. I like that. Well. People used to get killed for this kind of stuff, but because it's just growing exponentially, all they can do is actually digitally harass people now, or electronically harass people now. Um, there was a phenomenon called gang stalking that was really interesting for the last ten years, and it kind of like was an experiment in how to handle people who were saying too much or rocking the boat or. Uh, you know, posting too much uh, content online, early days of YouTube and stuff. R like uh, Richard Bruce, uh, Richard Bruce, who posts a lot of reptilian transformation videos, has dozens of videos of like the LAPD harassing him in public, following him, and you know, that's the kind of price we pay. But at the same time, everything has an equivalent exchange. And the more, like, like, no pain, no gain, to put it very simply, without going too exactly. poetic, no pain, no gain. And the exactly. more you push against a system that is keeping a secret, the more they will try to, like, to silence you. Because it's, but it's at a point now where we've already won. They've lost, the era's already changed, the zeitgeist has changed, the momentum is on the side of the people as well as the power now at this point because uh, no longer are we victimized by it, we are empowered by it. And it thrives on fear. The whole thing thrives on fear. And a lot of people have fallen victim to it, unfortunately. Phil Schneider was killed in the line of duty. Uh, telling the stories of El Dulce and his involvement with deep underground tunneling for the military-industrial complex and the deep state underground uh, networks that, like, in the, the desert, Mojave Desert, when their contact with reptilians uh, during spec op wars, these secret shadow wars in 1976, right after Vietnam. Um, there, Bill Cooper. Some people have said Bill Cooper has died, was killed uh, by the deep state because of his exposure of many of their uh, operations and their uh, sim symbolism that, and the, the, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have have been reportedly killed in the line of duty and we don't disrespect that but we don't think that that's going to happen to us because um, it's a different era it really is journalists, is. journalists are yeah. always in danger though Journalists, I consider myself a journalist. I consider myself an investigator. I consider myself a researcher. I a, a true academic in that level. And there are numerous dangers, numerous dangers in terms of knowing too much 
are knowing what you're not meant to know. Like, going into forbidden, uh, my name, beyond top secret territory. Uh, for example, anyone in charge, in handling classified material is committing an act of, you know, uh, non-American activities as well as treason and, uh, you know, that's punishable by imprisonment, you know, legal action against you. Like, that, that, that's absolutely the case. And a lot of the things that I do post, I will admit, real photos of classified, above top secret, beyond top secret programs, things from insiders that I'm in contact with. So this is not just me on a computer Googling things and calling, like, I actually do have whistleblowers. I try not to even approach the the realm of identifying them or giving any details. In fact, I go through lengths to kind of hide or cloud those uh, waters for anyone, but I do consider myself and have been reached out before as such someone who knows because I've been there, someone who's willing to take the risk. People call that either a death wish or courage or whatever. Ignorance. I, I Whatever that is the case. Uh, I am willing to take that risk. I'm willing to say those truths for them. I'm willing to post that on my page for them. And because to because they may be killed. They might actually be in prison. They might actually do face a military tribunal or a court martial. Um, go to go to um, you know a military prison, Leavenworth, and and actually do time if they are caught exposing their duties because they sign NDAs because they sign these things. Lou Elizondo, for example, who I know you guys are a big fan of, he even can't say a lot because he says, "No, I'm still bound by mine." NDAs and by my security clearance. So, because I'm already military retired, because I have no connection to the state anymore, and because I'm willing, and I have already taken the great sacrifice and burden of telling this, having my VA benefits revoked, having my uh, career aspects be radically reduced to to uh, you know hourly wages and labor, uh, and then basically accepting that, but becoming more self-sufficient and, and more willing to embrace my fate, like a like a ronin samurai, kinda, or I may have as, no, I may have nothing, but there is a great amount of strength and confidence in someone who has nothing. And like, uh, like that movie Kung Fu, or that show Kung Fu with David Carradine, he just carries the flute and he walks, like that idea that the less you have is a less burden for you, and you become a much more capable and honest person. Like, it's very Buddhist, and I am a Buddhist, I am a Zen Taoist, and, and so, I, you know, whether or not that helps, because that also just reinforces it, like, uh, you know, I roll the dice, and where they land so far has brought me here. And, and right. so, yeah, like... Well, and how we mentioned earlier in the previous conversation... As above, so below, one of your you know, favorite mm -hmm. quotes, whatever a person does on earth will be reflected in a spiritual plane. Oh, yeah. Or whatever happens in nature, the, the stars are reflected within the human body. So it's just kind of like you're saying, what you put out there, you will receive. And it is so very true. 
And, you know, somebody does have to speak on behalf of some of these theories. They're, they could be theories, but what we're all doing at the same time is we are speculating. Somebody has to. There are mm -hmm. too many accounts of anomalous activities that are in the air that so many people agree upon that we're being told, no, that's not true. That That is not the case. You are, you know, that, that didn't happen. Yes, it did. And that's yeah. where you come into play. And that's where I come into play. And that's where all these other avenues come into play where we are discussing this. We're talking, we're bringing this to the light, you know, and, and we have to talk about it. So, yeah. so what are we supposed to stay quiet about it? No, or of course not. believe that we didn't see something that we know that we saw about? Absolutely not. Not. And that's where you come in. Yeah. And you do have a lot of obscure videos, which are, you know, extremely intriguing. Do you do you know for one hundred percent that they're they're bad? We don't mm -hmm. know, you know. But, but at least we can put that out there. It's something to think about. No, um, I actually know. I actually know that. I would say eighty percent of those, besides the ones that are there, just because I thought they were neat and fun. But eighty yeah, percent of those are fun. absolutely verified, real, uh, trending. You know, uh, international footage from the dark web, from deep web sources, but legitimate sources that I always feel the mainstream media intentionally ignores, but recently is starting to warm towards on programs like Caught on Tape, uh, Unexplained Caught on Tape, uh, re, uh, Proof, the Proof is Out There, and various other clip shows. But the, yes. the iceberg is always... I'd say 10% on mass media, like, say, the congressional Uf UAP hearing that just recently happened, provided yes. basically nothing. And that was something that even just the layman can understand, that there are hundreds of, not thousands, if not millions, of UAF UFO videos, UAP videos, that are high quality throughout the years, stretching back to the earliest days of film, you know? Right. And the early days of photography, from military sources, from uh, scientific sources, from uh, professional cinematographer sources, as well as the amateur, which is the home camera. Now, it, it would literally fill libraries and libraries and libraries of these videos, and no man could ever watch them all. The thing is, once you know one is real, you can start verifying the proportionality of them all. And as we've always said, if one of them is un undebunkable and verifiably extraterrestrial in origin, then it doesn't matter if there are two because you already have your proof that this is a real phenomenon. And so, yes, there are obvious CGI hoaxes, but that's the thing. A lot of us, right. like yourself and myself, did not need a video tape. We saw it with our own eyes. We have personal life experiences. Yeah. And yes. a thing with the video evidence relating to scientific reality as a uh, debunking thing saying we don't have enough great evidence. The scientific community, especially in the world of biology and zoology and marine biology, sometimes absolutely uh, testifies to the reality of things that have only been seen once or described like in a handful of occasions without any hard evidence, including the so-called physical body specimen or even a videotape of it, because they understand the rarity of a phenomenon 
discludes the abundance of forensic evidence, what we would call forensic evidence. But phenomenology, as a natural philosophy, does not need a, a direct physical evidence component. This is where skeptics, this is where skeptics will say, something is happening, like, like Jacques Vallée and these great, like Carl Sagan, and, and great minds will say something happens. Michio Kaku, for example, is now a UAP believer, is now a U, uh, UFO believer, and now he's championing that cause. But he doesn't need to have his own experiences. He doesn't need to have seen a UFO. This can be understood just by logic. This can be understood by rationality. And this is where it starts going, like, like yes, uh, we would love to have everything verified with paperwork, documented, uh, triplicate, but sometimes seeing is believing. And sometimes... Exactly. And that's why they call it the phenomenon. Yeah. It's it unexplained, but there is something that we are all understanding. Yeah. Something that we cannot explain, but we all understand that it is true and real and it's occurring. It's, it's I have... I have, like I said, uh, close to a dozen of these cases that I'm going to try to present as many as I can, but very few of them have video or photographic evidence, including one that I'm going to show you as a news clip that I recorded, and uh, it's a news clip that was on Houston Public News after a mass sighting with thousands of eyewitnesses that, and many hundreds of videotapes of it, but this account has been memory-holed. This is, an, this is a sighting on the line of the Phoenix Lights. This is a sighting that happened over the fourth largest city in America. It happened in clear view of early evening traffic. And it was filmed by dozens so much that the news had to ask the Space Center about it. But it was quickly brushed away. And it was quickly dismissed. Oh, and the kicker? It happened in 2014. So this did not happen long ago, this did not happen in a time like in 97 even though 97 was not long ago but this did not happen in a bygone era where people didn't have our attitudes, this happened in 2014 and it just goes to show that, like I said the phenomenology people can look directly at UFOs and say I didn't see anything and that's the thing, like if they don't want to see if they don't want to believe, then they flow over Washington, D.C. in the 50s. They fly over major cities all the time. New York City, L.A., all these cities, the more people, the more sightings. And it's, it's not a matter of it being a uh, phenomenon that, you know, I guess you would call it uneducated people see. It becomes a phenomenon that everyone sees. Yes. And, and, and you know, it, it's just that... It, well, I mean, we're not the chosen one. We we're all we are all open yeah. to, to viewing them. But you do there are more eyes on these guys. So exactly. People it, are looking now. They're aware. Yes. It's just that people need to start taking more of a responsibility and deciding for themselves whether or not the evidence is is enough to start believing and start doing their own work and finding the truth. Uh, and so far. 70% of young people under 30 believe in UFOs and they do not believe they're a threat to mankind 
most people believe that UAP, UAPs are the government has commi- can, has already admitted it. Many world governments have gone even further and released their evidence, and they don't want to talk about that because it's like you can go and look at France's UFO files. You can go and look at Italy's UFO files. You can go look at Japan's UFO files. They are having uh, active programs. China's researching them. And, um, you know, the British are, I've already, you know, with Nick Pope, gone on full record of how much they research these things. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. and, and the Canadian Prime, uh, the Canadian Minister of Defense uh, came out and was the first to start basically whistleblowing, but it's not taken seriously. But he said 90 species live on Earth. Russians have been uh, recorded in dialogue talking about briefing Vladimir Putin, their president, and about the intelligent species they monitor as they live on Earth. This goes even further with thinking that uh, the former Israeli Space Force, you know, Minister, uh, Secretary of Space Force, the Space Defense, he came out and talked about how in 2017 the Galactic Federation of Light had incorporated the earth in its governments and that it's run it runs the earth and that we have extraterrestrial leadership basically like this goes into ancient aliens where people are theorizing that they were the ones who uh seeded mankind and built the ancient pyramids and what was that like the extent is not only are they visiting us but how how like how involved they have always been and are currently. And like I've said uh, in my own videos, you can I'm not going to really delve too much into it here. Like I have experiences, like many people are coming out with experiences about programs that we remember being involved in, involving quantum entanglement, time travel, extraterrestrial uh, warfare, intelligence, like AI intelligence uh, programs uh, that we call the secret space program that specifically mine was Solar Warden. Many people's are various programs. Uh, Tony Rodriguez, Max Spears, James Casbolt, Sarah Rachel Adams. These are just a few of the figures, but you also have Corey Good, uh, Alex Collier, for example. We can keep going. I was like, like this is a, an actual furthering of the dialogue that they can come with even more explanations for the various... Expl- like I say, various forces or factions that are running these UAPs, UFOs, and bases, either they be underwater or underground. And that's the thing that people are now starting to really get hip to. They're really starting to jive with it. Like, for example, the Italian friendship case. From the 1970s to the 1990s, thousands of Italians... Are, have gone on record testifying that they helped extraterrestrials colonize Italy. Being able to photograph UFOs, report this into journalists and, and newspapers at the time. So there is active chronological recording with photography and eyewitness testimony of a group of people called the Friends. <laughs> and, hey, this is news to me, and this is why we speak. Well, so, the, I have these episodes, and like I said, this is the kind of stuff I talk about in my episodes on the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Let me just kind of show my link tree, link tree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. You can go on there and get all my social media links. I post daily on Instagram, Twitter, 
um, Telegram. You can go ahead and try to follow me, support me as much as you can by just leaving likes. It's free. Just takes a couple of minutes of your time. And yeah, binge on my content. Check out the archives. Hundreds of episodes on YouTube. Hundreds of episodes on podcast format, as well as uh, the various video platforms that you can find me on. TikTok, for example. I post those videos simultaneously across Instagram and TikTok. But yeah, go have some fun. Look at some UFO videos or some of the... um, other conspiratorial video subjects I post about, but yeah, go cryptozoology, for example, really open your eyes, but also at the same time, really kind of just explore the what's there to explore. Exactly. Use your imagination also, yeah. and you're very open about that too. And I, you know, it's not like you're saying, okay, look, I, I am here to provide this platform for you to expand your mind. That's why we are here. You, yep. you know, and you're putting yourself out there. You know, you, you use that example of people who actually do put their life on the line and they have had, you know, really bad things happen to them. And, I mean, you're kind of a trailblazer in that regard, I would say. If you are putting yourself out there knowing that there could be some bad repercussions, and I know that you have been taken down on um, various platforms mm-hmm. where they don't want you posting this content. And, you know... Again, it's almost like you're putting out this kind of information saying, look, it's up to your mind to decide. It's up to you. You're not deciding for the viewer. It's up to your your viewer to decide. Well, no one can ever decide for someone else. And no one should ever. Exactly. Yeah, no one ever should have someone decide for them. No, absolutely. But, and that's the thing. I think that once you really get all the evidence and the details and you you really start at least expanding your own inner horizons it'll all start falling into place it'll all start falling into place and it'll all start once you can start taking the little like I said that that movie Cloud Atlas the little truths are the big truths and sometimes you need to see the little truths to see the big truths and this thing like once you start saying that yeah like oh maybe there are like under underwater bases for colonizing extraterrestrials, and then you start really start um, letting that um, seed blossom and grow. And then once that starts setting roots in, it's no longer you trying to debunk yourself or debunk anything you see. It's trying to legitimately follow a course and direction that's calling to you or like. Uh, that resonates with what your interests are. Sure. Like some people are into ancient aliens because they're into history and archaeology and, and like you know the, the those kinds of things. Some people are into the technology. I'm a really big uh, aviation person, right? I worked on F-18s in the Navy. I love airplanes. I love aviation. Uh, just the spirit of the aviator and UAPs, UFOs. For me, the technology, the science behind it. The aerodynamics, the the aeronautics of it, that's what really like fuels me, and I I will spend hours researching aviation engineering to better understand the reality of these craft, the flying triangle, the tic tac, all of that. And I understand it on a nuts and bolts level. So it's like I said, once that lets you blossom, anti gravity is no longer like a hard pill to swallow. 
Anti-gravity has been researched since the 1950s by the U.S. Air Force and by research and development such as Navy uh, and, and um, General Atomics and General Energy Divisions and the three-letter agencies that do scientific research. Uh, this is akin to the Manhattan Project. This is literally game-changing technology because anti-gravetics is also the power to control gravity itself, meaning you can increase gravity and thus you, you can create shielding barriers akin to Ronald Reagan's Star Wars program, which we've had, which once these things start becoming understood, well, a secret space program isn't so crazy because you're no longer using conventional methods. You're using what is only understood as science fiction technologies, including shields, plasma, electrogravitics, ion, uh, ionic thrust engines. And lo and behold, if you had that uh, in the 50s or the 60s and you were just setting up the primitive prototypes for it, look into the news. Look into popular mechanics. We're already admitting we have broken almost light speed. We have engines NASA's making that can achieve 99% of light speed. What was deemed physically impossible 10 years ago. We already have warp drives that they're accidentally creating in NASA laboratories. You know, uh, Elon Musk is going to colonize Mars. These things are not hard to swallow. That's reality that we're living. It's 2022. I mean, this is we're already living in the space age. Just because we don't have flying cars yet doesn't mean that we don't have the technology to make flying cars. Just look at the drone taxi programs that we're getting off the ground. Just look at all these real things that 50 years ago you would think were UFOs. And maybe we're up to catching up with these you know, possible interdimensional beings or people that are time travelers or mm -hmm. for us from the future. You know, maybe that's where we're at. Maybe yeah. And they're watching us and catch up to them and they're going, hey, good job. You're getting there. But you're not quite there yet. In the and 80s, you know. <laughs> in the 80s, if you had told people that the CIA was into meditation and had come out with uh, studies about intradimensional beings and remote viewing, they would have thought you were crazy. But now sure. the CIA has released documents talking about walking through walls and, and creating oh, yeah. timelines. And, and this is literally FOIA requested documentation. And that's what I'm saying. So it's crazy until it's not crazy. And they have... Right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like uh, Daniken. Exactly. It's like uh, Von yeah. Daniken talks about that. First, it's crazy. You're crazy. We don't like this idea. Second, then it's, okay, maybe, but we were right. We are more right. He's kind of right, but we're more... And then secondly, it was our idea. We knew it oh, all the time. We talked about that over breakfast this morning. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. <laughs> So well, you know, and you also you mentioned Elon Musk, and I know mm -hmm. that you're over in the, the Gulf, uh, you know, Mexico, mm -hmm. and the Gulf Coast of Texas is uh, Boca Chica. So do you know? Have you ever heard of any interference with UAP and any launches of any sort? Oh yeah, SpaceX, for example, had to move to Boca Chica from his plant in Nevada, I believe, because they got taken out by a UAP on live film, live stream camera. During, I believe, it was the year 2015, I believe, 2015 or 2016. Expound, expound. Well, I didn't have that prepared and everything, but... Um, oh, that's okay. 
There was a rocket explosion where he had a Facebook satellite on board. And this implosion was during a cold fueling stage, which had no physical chance of exploding. And they even suspected that Jeff Bezos in Blue Origin had a sniper set up on the roof to shoot the rocket and blow it up. Now, the video... Yeah, the video is the rocket, while a UAP... Well, that is like an orb, a classic metallic sphere orb that's small, what I call a micro UFO. And now these are relatively the size of basketballs, right? And they're seen all over the world. They're metallic UFOs, size of basketballs. There are films of them flying next to helicopters, films of them flying through neighborhoods, films of them in close... These are a, a class of UFO onto themselves, right? Just like black triangles, just like Tic Tacs. A cl- uh, cigars cl- clear as day a circular metallic sphere flies across the screen right next to the rocket danger close and the rocket implodes and this thing zips away within the frames of a second zoop boom zoop showing all the classic six points of anti-gravity no propulsion uh, too small as recorded in the Navy to even have, like, you know, the, the, the one they even released on, you know, they're like this. They're like little metallic uh, softballs or basketballs uh, size. And it just zoops across, blows it up, and zoops across. And this was debunked as birds. But for a bird to fly near an explosion and then not deviate its path, as well as, it's kind of like the Midwest, everything is a bird, and nobody knows except me. The fools who work at uh, the Navy and the, the fucking you know, foreign advanced radar stations and air traffic controllers, those fools who fly Apaches, I, Mick West, know that birds <laughs> and balloons are all the UFOs that were recorded on FLIR and all that shit. And it's just like, you know, get real. That, that's what it, that was a UAP that was filmed live, that was streamed, it was seen. And it's just one of the many, many accounts where the news picks one up and it just, it, it, it bold face covers it up and tries to forget about it. But after that date... Michael? <laughs> Michael speaking the truth. He's admitting the truth. But after but that he, date, he moved he to Texas. You also had some uh, UFO reports from uh, some MUFON archives from the Gulf Coast of Texas also on top of that. So Yes, it did. Do you, can you bounce, can you at least touch on one of those yeah. before we get on to... Yeah, yeah. and um, it's saying that the remaining meeting time is at 9 minutes, so we're just going to jump back on. Uh, you got to jump back on every 45 minutes, I believe. So we're just going to do that after uh, the time comes on, and then we'll just handle it there. So yeah, stay, stay uh, ready for that. But yeah, we got some... All of them are on the Gulf Coast of Texas. All of them are for, uh, across the years. Uh, in honor of Stranger Things, we got some vintage teenage uh, family sightings, uh, you know, and, and the Gulf Coast from the 70s and 80s, one from 1976, the other from 1983. We have um, just the list, like I said, the, the mass sighting from Houston in 2014 that was seen and published on even on the news, and I have the video for that, so you're going to be able to see it as well. You're going to be able to see what was seen on the ground, the best videos of it, and um, yeah, we'll just uh, rock and roll from there, I got uh, one that was from the Air Force, and I got one that was from 
or you know researchers investigating a what they call the Mexican Roswell. They call the Mexican Roswell, and and uh, actually someone you were on a plane with very recently, Jaime. Uh, we did share a plane twice. Yeah, Jaime. He was the one who did the documentary on this case. And uh, it's yeah. very interesting to talk about because it came from the Gulf of Mexico. This UAP UFO was recorded by military uh, radar traveling um, over the Gulf of Mexico at extreme speeds before entering Texas airspace and then traveling into Mexico where it crashed. And then it was recovered. And there was some controversy associating the Mexican military because they were there first but died. And the account was they were found dead, but speculation suggests maybe that they were killed by the United States military and the UFOs were then taken by force. And that that was really the new research on that. But without getting into that part, we'll talk about just the physical sighting and experience itself unto the crash. And so, yeah, we'll just get into it. We'll get into it without any time wasted. Let me get a drink. Love it. Sounds good. Awesome, yep, and like I said, it's got seven minutes, so at that mark, we'll jump off. I'll try to get one of these in. Okay, so the first one um, happened in 1976. It was mid-July. The female witness who made this report to, um, I believe this is the UFO, this is Nightcap. This report was made by Nightcap. Uh, It's not a MUFON report, it's a Nightcap report. The female witness was then 19. And they spent, or she spent the day at Crystal Beach in Texas with 10 other people between the ages of 8 and 19 years old. It was a cloudy day, as she recalls, and the beach was nearly empty. They couldn't believe their luck, quote-unquote. They had the entire place to themselves, and they could be as rowdy as they wanted to be. They arrived there in two cars and stayed throughout the whole afternoon. As it started to get dark, four of the group decided to go into Galveston to go dancing and drinking, so they left in one car early. So her and uh, six other people stayed behind. Crystal Beach is located on the Boulevard Peninsula off the road that connects the mainland to the Galveston Ferry, which takes cars into Galveston. So the six people, including the witness, had decided to stay behind. They hopped into the remaining vehicle, a recently purchased Chevy, and started driving on the sand watching the, uh, the, na- the, the sun set in the west. They have to, the music playing tuned to a radio station, They all liked when two of the girls were sitting on top of the hood, taking in the nice breeze. They were driving across the sand and then started to see a light on the horizon on the east catching their attention. It was a heading straight towards land. It moved the way a speedboat moves over the water. The color at first was a sort of silver, then turned to amber. And that woke me up in the moment, she says. Uh, I told the others to look at it. At some point, as we watched the driver, and I realized that the object was moving far too fast and appeared to be heading straight at us. At this point, he stopped the car. I told the two girls to get off the hood and get in the car. We were taking this seriously, and we proceeded to drive out between the beach houses and one of the dirt roads to connect to the I-10. It was at 9 p.m. Sitting in the front seat passenger side and watching behind us from the open window, I'm starting to watch the object closing in on us far too quickly, and it was changing colors as we made the turn onto the main road. I cannot describe how fast this took place, the witness claims. 
The radio immediately went off. She peered out again and could see that the object was on, right on their tail. Inside the car, the others, mostly kids, pretending to understand what type of object it could be, thinking it was a helicopter or a plane, trying not to say the obvious that it was a UFO and that they could see very clearly and quickly that it was coming to them, becoming hysterical. We were all aware that it was obviously a flying saucer, which was supposed to not really exist according to our government. The witness admits that they were too were quite frightened since she was the oldest. Everyone in the car was looking to her for answers and guidance, so though she had none, suddenly the driver pulled over to the side of the road, slowed down, came into a full stop. She was dumbfounded with that action and asked him for an explanation. He silently showed her that the key was in the ignition and his foot was on the accelerator. As they watched him trying to turn the key again, he noticed that the car's lights had also gone off. We carefully told the other children that the saucer had taken the car's power and to stay calm. They rolled up the windows and locked the doors. Directly behind us, to the rear, very low, clearly visible, I was watching it through the rear window. The witness noted that the craft had two decks. All three levels had portals at the center between the two decks, and there were stacked colored lights that rotated around the craft constantly. The object was translucent, appearing and glowed with light. The panel lights were green, bluish white. The panels were rectangular in shape. The colors were pale, but seen around showing more vivid color behind them. The, the witness uh, could not see inside the portals because the glass was too thick, she thought, and also it seemed frosted. Around the edges, the craft had rivets at the ends of the, uh, the seams between the decks. I was watching closely at uh, any activity inside of it while trying to keep the kids quiet and calm. I started to realize that I was becoming hypnotized by these lights going around, so I forced myself to stop watching them, and I told the others not to watch the colored lights as well. Just after uttering those words to not look at the lights, the car took off immediately, the craft against the uh, back of the hills. You continue to tell uh, that you continue to drive right up to the turn off and would take them back to the civilization, or it, or it continued to follow them. Sorry, continued to follow them right up to the turn to the road that would lead them back to civilization in I-10. The top of the uh, UFO tilted off to the right, and it was gone. It left a streak, something that the witness found to be odd, given that it was nighttime. And the strange part of the encounter, she says, is that when the radio began again, the announcer said it was 12 midnight, with the loss of three hours starting at 7, or starting at 9. The six of us just could not believe that the whole this event had happened. And it seemed to have lasted less than 30 minutes from the start to the finish, with the three hours being missing time. They talked about it and decided that they were better off keeping a secret 
than being branded as crazy until the witness decided to tell the National UFO Reporting Center. But that is a very Texan case because it happened in a mass event, but it happened with young people, and it happened in a seemingly isolated wilderness area because the beach is, even though it has beach houses and even it seemed empty, it seemed as if though they were the only people out at that night to see this event, and the UFO seemed to have direct intelligence. Let's see, gotta get this thing started back up. Okay, so we got off the end of that one. We finished up that one account. Now, any questions? What are your impressions of that? Pretty wild, right? Like I said, it's three hours of missing time. It's a close description, a detailed description of a physical object as well as something that is intelligently controlled. Not just something that was flying by and you happened to see it, but something that seemed to be going after them specifically. It involved. Yeah, not only that, but it took control of their vehicle also. Yep. And I wonder about that because that happened to my, my mom, my sister and I, where my mom halted the vehicle, she turned the lights off, she backed the car up, the UAP backed up with us, and then when we took off, it disappeared. I mean, and there's more that goes to it, but there was a lot of weird situations with the vehicle and the UAP. That seems very much like the case in a lot of cases where the UAP has a wireless control over either the vehicle's electronics or even somehow the physical properties of an engine. Because an engine is a, after it starts, almost a non-electrical process, you know, like... Or what's going on with the person who is operating the vehicle's mind, Mm -hmm. does it have some sort of control over that person and what they're doing to the vehicle? There was a description of hypnotic lights in the element of that, and that's a a really important thing when when thinking about the three hours of missing time, that they were being actively hypnotized, and those words were used specifically, hypnotized, to the point that she tried to stop looking at it. You know, and that's the thing with people's UFOs descriptions, is that ironically, people sometimes don't want to look at them. Physically, it hurts, or it feels very odd and discomforting. I have a case uh, that I have written down that's the most recent. It happened in 2012, where the reporter says that he was, uh, or the eyewitness says that he had the feeling of being in a hot shower. The, The sensation of hot water running off their body but but he was just standing outside his apartment looking up and these ideas that um, UFOs would you know be the only thing you wanted to look at many people are are kind of like they want to get away from them they want to kind of like hide from them which is a which is a very interesting element when it comes to eyewitness credibility uh, there is no photograph of this evidence there's no there's, there's no photographic evidence but 
the and she is the only one who came out to report. But the fact that her character is good and is apparently reputable, and the fact that this incident is, I mean, for lack of a better term, the only one in her life. I mean, this is something that you know. Um, I think I said I've always held a lot of value and esteem in eyewitness accounts. Never one to doubt it. This is devil's advocate. If you're trying to say like, well, character or well, who's this is a very this is very much like salt of the earth, you know, good people, Galveston area, beachgoers, Gulf Coast Texans, just kids who had an experience and they didn't want to seem crazy. They didn't even want to tell people, and most of them didn't. Most of them kept that secret, except for one who feels an obligation to tell the truth, like to tell their experience. They, they didn't stand in to gain anything. They didn't stand to... to they, they kept themselves anonymous, and they just reported a case of a close encounter of a third kind. And this is the, what the, the kind of the meat of the matter, is that... It's too detailed, in my opinion. The, the fact that she goes to describe the rivets, the rivets it be, uh, connecting the seams, that is a what I call a nuts and bolts UAP description. There are many, many, I just saw a light in the sky, I saw a fireball go like this, but I saw something fly and then stop and then maybe turn. It, that's no description, no physical, I saw something, and then and, and that, you take it and leave it. This, she described the colors. She described that the panels seem to be frosted at the edges, which is a unique description when taking into the flare evidence that the Navy's releasing, showing that the UAPs are cold. And like I said, one thing leads to another. And once you start thinking maybe UFOs avoid detection because they're not hot they are cold and are, are generate negative heat surrounding themselves in a shroud of below freezing environment and that's like um, well, it's, it's one of those things that yeah, it's a seemingly small detail that I only picked up because of that I've been thinking about that a lot lately the, the, the fact that you would have to get something cold to allow for high voltage necessary for electrogravitics or anti-gravity and that's a detail that is that i think leads to its credibility she's not a scientist she's not an engineer she's not a researcher but she described ice ice on the windshield as if though and i and that is something that it's not the craziest detail but it is something that you're like okay like this is picture this is a photographic memory this is something this is someone like with photographic memory doing their best to describe a situation that was out of their control. You just melted my brain. I did not connect those two things together of it being that cold of a temperature and the description of frosted lights being that 
it enters our atmosphere and maybe whatever light they have using has created this frosted almost atmosphere over their mm-hmm. the way that their light is. The fact that it's a USO too, it can be considered a USO sighting because it came from the ocean. And it seemed to be traveling in the water, at least for the beginning of it. it. Seems to have come from the water, seeing them as they drove on the beach. That's It seemed to have an intelligence where it was like, okay, I'm going to get them. And it went, and they got scared and decided to take it seriously and drive away. But they was already on top of them from where you're assuming the horizon. And you can see that it traveled an incredible amount of distance very quickly. And so... Um, you could say one of the the fact was those one of those uh, parameters, the factors of UAP sightings is uh, hypersonic travel. Then that, that could be a count of that. There's one case I'm going to read where the object was clocked going 3,700 miles per hour. So we're gonna we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep going into the uh, the, the timeline. Um, this is a Stranger Things inspired sighting, or Stranger Things uh, an homage to the Stranger Things season coming out. 1983, Veter, Texas. A family saw a mass sighting over the course of weeks and eventually even called the police where they got involved. And this is where the sighting and specifically comes from, uh, comes into like what we're going to talk about. But in Veter, Texas, which is on the bayou, it's in between Houston and Victoria, Texas, or Houston and Corpus Christi, Texas, on the coast. Um, small community, but... In June 1983, residents living in the Sandra Lane area were speaking to David Weiner of the Beaumont Enterprise newspaper for an article published on the June 7th, 1983 edition that she and the McIntyre family had first spotted 10 days earlier. It seemed to be following them, a UFO, as they drove west on Interstate 10 at first, returning from Orange County. And eventually... It would show up for 10 days after that every day. Cherry uh, McIntyre herself observed at least four times over that week what they claim an object resembling a star and had three to four points of light on it. At first, I thought it was a great big silver star, she says, with three points like a big triangle. It's really weird. I just really like to know what it is. It puts off red and blue vapors and has a glow around it at times. But it makes no noise. Another relative, Georgia Cole, finally reported the sightings on the night of Sunday, June 5th, to the police. My husband went out to get some cigarettes from the car and spotted it again. Cole reported, There was about 14 of us at my grandmother's house one morning, but they aren't wanting to tell because they knew they would get laughed at. I just didn't care. So that I called the Vitor police to report on the object we were seeing. She, say, she said it appeared to be round and sparkle all over. Beater Patrol Officer David, who responded to the call, and it just says David in quotes, and remained on the scene for 30 minutes, and, my, and says that in his opinion, at first it was clouds passing in front of a really bright star. But soon, as we watched, to my surprise... It got real weird. Then it seemed to eventually leave the area. And I have weird being the interpretation from a police officer's point of view. And I assume worded that way for intentional vagueness. 
but still confirming the family's claim and justifying the police call so as not to warrant a, you know, like, as not discredit the witness, but also to not, inv- like, not actually, because he's a policeman, he doesn't want to get too involved with something like this. So I'm saying, this is a very, you got to think, when he says it got real weird for a policeman to say that, he's saying that he could not explain the situation, they were justified in calling, that should not, that was nothing that he had seen before, you know what I'm saying, like, he's not trying to say, like, oh, it was a helicopter, or this was a, a bogus call, and that this family wasted our time. He said, oh, I thought it was a star at first behind a cloud, but then it started getting weird, and then it left. And that he intentionally left it vague, as if saying, well, yeah, they saw something I can't explain, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Like, I saw it too, we were all there, and so, continuing on to that, like I said, that's just a very Texan, 1983 kind of small town, I guess it's a very small town still today, but back then, just kind of like, yep, <laughs> like, like, yep, that that's a flying saucer, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to write it down in the police report, and he did give his own testimony to it, so he didn't say it was bogus, this is a good, for, as good as you're going to get from the police. The strangest aspect of the sighting was yet to come. The McIntyre clan claims that they continued to watch the object after the patrolman left. It began to move sideways and up and down in the night sky, remaining in the area until a black helicopter arrived. They both disappeared, one chasing the other. Then the McIntyre uh, told the news that she and the others assumed that it was a police helicopter, having been called by the patrolman. So... They were happy with that. They were sure that all they could see was the light and the swishing sound of a helicopter as it traveled real slow over the countryside. Beater, Texas Police Chief Reynolds, quote-unquote Reynolds, confirmed that an officer had been sent to the scene and taken a report, but reiterated that they had not received any calls about strange lights prior to that Sunday night from anyone else He also confirmed that the Texas Highway Patrol did have a helicopter that they were able to dispatch in the area from the nearby Houston terminal, but when a spokesman from that area was contacted, said that not one was sent to the scene that night, Carol Edwards, the air traffic control tower manager at the airport, told investigators that their log indicated nothing unusual showing up on radar. And at that time, the sighting the radar did not show or pick up anything flying below a thousand feet, so did not rule out that a helicopter or any other flying craft could operate in the area without their notice. The airport officer Fred Wesley was on duty at the National we- or sorry Fred Wesley, who was on duty at the National Weather Service at 10:30 p.m. And he checked the Lake Charleston-Galveston radars, the Doppler radars, and said there was no unusual sightings. He told Wetner, the reporter, the weather was mostly clear at the time and visibility for seven miles. So one of the airports would have had to pick up any aircraft in the area, but apparently they didn't. He also indicated that anyone on the ground would have a clear view of the sky. So what was it? There was no weather balloons in the area. Uh, that Sunday night, there was no air traffic, there was no flights planned, and a family of seven, uh, a family of 
How many people were in the family? Hold on a second. My family of over a dozen people. I know that, but I forget how many people were actually in that sighting. 14. 14 people, a family of them, and a Texas State Patrol officer saw and reported strange lights in that sky, followed by black helicopter activity, 1983. Very much in the spirit of a Stranger Things 1980s family mystery. Small town, small town staring out the porch at mysterious lights in the sky, black unmarked helicopters flying in that they assumed were the police. But the police later said, nope, not, we have no responsibility for that craft after you called. So what was it? And who sent the helicopter? Because someone must have been either watching or listening. Or 11 did. 11 sent them in. What the heck? That's wild, wild yep. information. Now, and, that know, one is a little bit less... Well, see, the thing in Texas, and it even says that they didn't want to tell, but they had seen that for days, and they all kind of later confirmed that they had seen it multiple accounts, each one of them, over the course of 10 days in the area. Now, people may not know this in Texas, land is big. You could be the only family for, for miles sometimes, right? It's not, like, cartoonish, but that's the case, where, yeah, you don't necessarily in these small towns see your neighbor's house, and so the area they were in may have been either a, it might have had some either connection to it. Well, if there were more people, I'm sure more people would have seen it. I'm not saying the UFO was there for them, but something, they just happened to be the lucky ones who lived under that, under that UFO that, for those days. To the point that one of them decided to call the cops. And, and just, you know, enough is enough. But it goes to show that the numbers are about 1 in, one in 10, 1 in 20 of people who were actually say something, who people who actually reach out for help. Most people right. will and just luck, see it and just say... The word lucky also is very relative yep. because you almost... Some people do not have good experiences. Yep. So you feel like, wow, I, I was able to witness something such as that. But are you lucky, or is this something that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life? Exactly. Now I'm saying that exactly. Most people don't want the bad reputation, especially at the time. Like I felt like I said earlier, the air is changing, the spirits changing. Now people are going to come out with the UFO sightings a lot more. Back in 1983, though, it was a whole different era, and uh, the Texas Texas didn't have the 60s. Texas went from 1950s to the 1990s. So, the 80s were very much 1950s in America still, like, very, like, uh, first season of Stranger Things type, you know, world, where it was very small town, very much, like, your reputation was everything, you didn't want to, like, even miss church, you, you know, King of the Hill on steroids type thing. For someone to call must have been the last straw on a very strong camel's back. That's what I'm saying, like, for these country people to be like, I'm just gonna call the cops. This is fucking. This this is there's enough of this. This is ten days of this, honey. Get the cops on the phone. The UFO is back. <laughs> the UFO is on the lawn again. That's what I'm saying. Like like kind of like the country people being like, they took another cow. Get the cops on the line. The sheriff. We're not working. I can stand this. They took another cow. Like 
but okay. So the next one, the next one has a, a MUFON report, so people can look it up if they have access to the database. And I'm just gonna come, uh, jump into these. Uh, so if you have any questions, just let me know uh, as we're reading them. Of course, we have like the reaction and everything, but let me know. So yeah, Houston, Texas, July 10th, 2012, 9 p.m. Spring, Texas, north of Houston, but it's a subdivision of Houston. What was seen? Multiple unidentified orbs spotted first and then associated with a pressure feeling on the skin like a hot shower, followed by a mothership sighting all within five minutes. An interesting report of a UFO seen over an apartment complex back in 2012 was submitted to MUFON, case number 121765. So that's case number 121765, MUFON database. Although there were no photos or videos taken of this encounter, also there were no photos or videos taken of the Vitor encounter either. And that was seen by a cop, a, a policeman, a state trooper, who did not take photos of it. So it's not the fact that physical evidence doesn't exist. It's that even people who are oh, like seeing it just simply sometimes do not take photos of it. It doesn't happen. Like I said, like it's not one-on-one, -on -one, 100%. Some people see, most of them see, like I said, it kind of works its way to the ones who do take a photo are the very, very few the minority, like that very cream of the, like that very rare subsection of people who are, have the camera, who are able to record it, who record it clearly, and then save it and then upload it and and you know share it. So it's it's you know one out of ten, one out of five, one and it keeps going lower and lower and lower. So yeah, no photographic evidence, no videos of this, but it was had 2012 MUFON case number one two one seven six five. Uh, is important to document of eyewitness this one stands due to the clarity and the detail of description as well as the associated feelings and physical situation physical sensations associated with the sighting uh, such described as being under hot water feeling like a hot shower so basically an overwhelming feeling of heat uh, washing over this person uh, the witness statement was said a very long story short uh, fighting with his ex led him out outside to catch some fresh air. As he was walking to his car, or as he was, uh, sorry, at his apartment, looking out over his car, he noticed a uh, orb of light far away above in the sky. But only as he was directly looking at it, it instantly made him feel as if though he was in a hot shower. So he said he's standing there, taking a, like looking at his a car, he looks up, sees the orb, only when he starts looking at it, he starts feeling an overwhelming sense of heat washing over him, right? As if though he's in a hot shower. The physical sensation of being under hot water. All right, so, looking directly at it, it makes me feel like I was in a shower. Immediately, it flew over my head, and in an instant, I ran down the stairs and ran onto the street in front of me to turn around and look at the apartment, right? Look at the sky right there above my two-story apartment, looking like it was touching the roof, was at least 100 foot across and 50 foot tall. It was a black cube, an absence of color, mostly with a white backdrop of border around it with orbs flying all over it, flashing every color of the rainbow, 
starting with large balls of color that had tails streaming from them. Following the colors, they all moved around like planets orbiting the sun inside and outside of the structure. Once I made eye contact with it, a second or two went by and it takes off slowly at first before shooting off into the sky with a white tail behind it, trailing behind it, streaming just like the first encounter, leaving with a trail, uh, making several abrupt changes in a zigzag pattern. It was out of sight within a minute. This was reported to move uh, MUFON on July 10th, 2012. It's said to have happened at 9 p.m. So not even midnight, not even late at night. The sun sets roughly around here at 9 p.m. in the summer. So July 10th was right at sunset. So July 10th, right at sunset, 9 p.m. Because the sun just set at 9 p.m. here. Um, it's not too dark at that time. It's twilight. It's twilight. So this was not... He was waking up and had a dream because it's 2 a.m. And it's this type of sleep uh, hypnosis, hypnosis, DMT type, you know, sleep paralysis. No, he was up 9 p.m. Not even thinking about a situation like this. Looking at his car, noticed something, felt a physical sensation wash over him. And within moments looked up and saw what appeared to be a mothership surrounded by orbs. Exactly. An extraordinary event that just happened. Just just happened. say it was painful. You're right. He did not say it was painful. The description is not painful. The description is simply the feeling of hot water. So that must mean, and it's like, we all interpret things differently, especially feelings. Uh, So if you, like you said, pins and needles, uh, you know, however anyone wants to say it, a definite physical reaction to something stimulating the nervous system, stimulating the physical body. It's not just a mental or a like. Some people say, when you're looking at UFOs, it's a it's a it's a mass hallucination. It's a, you're seeing an optical illusion. You're seeing a, a misidentified object. Well, misidentified objects, planes that you in the sky, lights, asteroids, comets, they don't cause a physical sensation when observing them. Like you said, the, 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 the accounts and eyewitnesses are consistent about a hypnosis, a type of mind-altering effect that occurs 
especially when it's right next to you and on top of you. And my theory is that the, the mothership was on top of him the whole time and that he went out and just maybe got lucky. Like I said, I keep saying this, maybe got lucky in the sense that uh, the UFO was above him, whether he had seen it or not. And maybe the feelings of hot water were because whatever was above him turned on as the event happened very fast. He said he saw it in a moment as it raced towards him and he was down the stairs and across the street and then it drifted off and flew away. Maybe he startled it. Maybe that was an intelligent response to it being observed. Maybe that was never supposed to happen. It had a cloaking device or maybe it was... uh, like I said, it, you, sometimes um, the best way to describe it is just people getting lucky. People, like, there are factors that you can't calculate on why you were in its path and intersected with it. And like uh, the feeling of burning, there are many encounters. Uh, one very famous encounter of a farmer who went into uh, a UFO landing. A UFO had landed and this man had actually contacted the occupants, the pilots. And in his report they cooked him cookies and they, they gave him the cookies and then took off. But he was burned with the exhaust. And there are photos of him in the hospital with the doctors giving the fact that he has radiation burns. And they are in a weird pattern. And the idea of that is testimony holds up with physical evidence be it in a kind that you know we don't expect this this in the form of like extraterrestrial food or ufo not food does not discount the fact that weirder stuff has happened you know like that some people times people get lucky and they just happen to be like the 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 cop in new mexico the tommy uh uh the tony um oh, i forgot his name uh, tony zamora case which was Project Blue Book's uh, big case where a New Mexican state trooper, or an Arizona state trooper, I believe it was New Mexico, uh, encountered near White Sands um, a UFO that was landed. And he gave his police affidavit and testimony about how he saw this UFO that looked like an egg, a tic-tac is what we would call it nowadays, have three occupants on the ground that went into it and then took off and in flight. And, and so sometimes you're in the right spot at the right time. Sometimes you didn't expect to see this. This is just what happens to you. Like you said. Like you said, it's. There's all these different accounts, and you think, okay, well, maybe this guy got lucky. They made him cook. That's what happened. And they, when they buzzed off, they got he got some radiation burns. And I, you know, I lean on the theory of. Their, their intelligence is much greater than ours, but their emotional intelligence must not be as similar to us because of the, uh, yeah, can, can the read this? that people are enduring. Can you read so, this? It says Falcon Lake. Par- yes. Falcon Lake UFO Falcon case. Encounter, there was a snow. When I walked into the bedroom, there was a huge tank in the room, like a real horrible... Interesting. Yeah, and that could be. Oh no, that's um, that's the yeah right here. So the Falcon, uh, the Falcon Lake case, the one I just brought up, is the best documented case in Canadian history. So what I'm saying may sound crazy to people. I'm saying what I'm saying is like 
What do you mean a guy? No, it's the best case documented after 50 years. It's known as Canada, Canada's Roswell. And here are the photos of the actual man in the hospital yes. giving his account. Yes. So while it seems incredible, never forget that the world we live in is incredible. And it's extremely abstract. I mean, the entire subject is un unbelievable and, and incredible. Yeah. But you, if you have, if you have to open your mind in order to think about these things yep. and think, what else is going on outside of our airspace? Absolutely. Know? And like I, like I said, their intelligence is much greater than ours, but yes. their emotional intelligence, due to the fact that people are receiving radiation birds, these possible pregnancies. The emotional intelligence isn't there because they're, they don't understand the repercussions of what humans endure mm -hmm. if they're injured or possibly resulting in death. Yes, I absolutely agree. I absolutely so there's, agree. There's a difference there. And we can possibly learn from each other, you know, eventually mm -hmm. one day when we establish communication. I agree. I agree. Now, jumping into the accounts again, here's one that was off the Gulf Coast of Texas. Uh, near the same area of Galveston. It's the United States Air Force B-29's crew report of seeing a UAP. So at 5.24 a.m., Lieutenant... Uh, yeah, Lieutenant... Uh, oh, sorry. 5.24 uh, a.m., 100 miles south of Louisiana on the coast. The duration was about 10 minutes. It even gives the coordinates, but I don't believe that's necessary. December 6, 1952, the crew, three men of the U.S. Air Force B-29 bomber were flying over the Gulf of Mexico just before dawn when several unidentified targets appeared on the bomber radar scopes. The targets maneuvered around the bomber at speeds of 5,240 miles per hour. The crew members had visual contact with the objects as they streaked past their aircraft. After several minutes of maneuvering around the B-29, the five objects, still moving over 5,000 miles per hour, merged with a larger object which appeared on radar as a huge blip and began to accelerate and flashed across the radar, three radar scopes at the same time, computing to be over 9,000 miles per hour. The statements of the first lieutenant, Norman Karras, United States Air Force Blue Book Records report on December, December, or on the 6th December 1952, while flying over the Gulf of Mexico towards Galveston, Texas, the flight engineer finished transferring fuel and then turned on the radar set. I noticed an unidentified target approaching our aircraft at terrific rates of speed. I timed it as best as I could with my stopwatch over a known distance and the instructor, flight engineer, computed the speed at 5,240 miles per hour. I alerted the entire crew to look for the object visually and some flashes of light were noticed. The closest the objects came were approximately 20 miles away from our aircraft. I saw about 20 objects in all sometimes as much as two and three of them at the scope at the same time. I recalibrated the set, and there was no change. The object was small and possibly round. Statement of First Lieutenant William W. Newman, United States Air Force Blue Book Records. Quote, 
Contact was broken off at 5.35 after a group of blips merged into a one-half-inch curved arc about 30 miles from our aircraft at 320 degrees and proceeded across the scope and off it at a computed speed of over 9,000 miles per hour. And those... Yeah, see, that was from 1950... 1952. And they were talking about speeds of 5,000 miles per hour and objects that resembled the tic-tac in performance and physicality and ultimately a mothership that traveled even faster at 9,000 miles per hour. This was reported by U.S. Air Force training personnel, lieutenants, officers in our military to Blue Book. Have you ever heard of this case? Because I haven't until I did my research on it. This is what I'm saying. There are thousands of eyewitness reports of pilots, military personnel, and trained professionals that aren't talked about, even though they were in Blue Book. They were in mainstream major sources, and everyone should be talking about this stuff. Yes, it is. Yes, it has. Absolutely. Why they they've rebranded UFO taking AP so they can erase all of that. And you see, what they don't want you to say, want you even think about, is that that happened in between New Orleans and Houston, two of the largest cities in America, with international airports that have state-of-the-art radar stations. There's also a number of military bases up and down the Gulf Coast not only between those, but elsewhere in the state around it, that that are mum, that keep their records silent, radar scopes, uh, radar reads, uh, returns, this must have been seen somewhere else. Clearly, these three men are not the only people who saw this in the National Defense Station of the Cold War of 1950s America, that we have things flying 9,000 miles per hour off the Gulf of Mexico, coast of Texas, and no one, no one seems to be too concerned. No one seems to be. I mean, I'm pretty sure this was a national security issue, and I'm pretty sure this is why it's been covered up. So I'm being sarcastic about it, but this is what I'm saying: is that um, this has been going on since the '50s. This is one of those things where you're like, this has been going on since we've been able to fly. That we've been reporting objects traveling thousands of miles per hour, and we're only aware of them now due to radar, not visual, but radar reads. Like I said, he's well, we're, yeah. We're lucky enough to catch something on radar, really. Yep, absolutely. You're you know? absolutely right. And the, the hopes of durability <coughs> that they they've been able to attain hmm? with that cool temperature has really left them. Uh, invisible. So, I mean, it really, truly has. Yep. So. Absolutely. And and the uh, time remaining is going to be at two minutes now. So when it goes off, I'll send you the next link and everything. Okay. But the next Unless ones. You, do we want to close this out and then oh, revisit? I got I got a few more, and we're almost going to be finished because after this okay. one, after this one, it's only a three minute video, and so okay. it'll be about twenty minutes. Then we can wrap it up in the next thirty. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Um. Yeah, I got. We can edit. I got, well, yeah, I got about one more, 
two more if you want to include the uh, the oil rig siding. These are all both short. I can do this. I can do this within ten minutes, actually. Yeah, so definitely. Are you Let sure? me. Yeah, I can do this in two minutes. No, no, I can definitely. This is something that you guys are going to want to hear. This, this is really interesting shit. This is good okay. shit. So you going to want to hear this. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me wait till it to run out, and then uh, we'll resend the link. But this is one that's coming as the Corpus Christi to Mexico case. We know as the Mexican Roswell, and then there's also the. What it's what's known as the oil rig sighting, and it happened March twenty first, two thousand seventeen. That one, very soon, five years ago, reported by an entire crew of a two hundred and forty foot vessel as it was traveling, ferrying men in between oil rigs, and it was seen by an engineer, and he gave an anonymous report. But he, it's a very credible sighting. It's very short. And uh, the information there is very incredible when it comes to what he's reporting. A USO uh, in the oil rig uh, right off coast of Texas. So, you know, it must have been seen mass sighting. It's considered a mass sighting. And it's very obscure. Both these cases are obscure. That one's the most obscure. The Corpus Christi Mexico one has a, a lot of press on it for being a forgotten case. It's got history channel programs, all that good stuff. Let's do this. Yeah, we'll knock these out. Don't you worry. Right. I got you. So, I, I got you, baby bird. <laughs> Let's go. Corpus Christi to Mexico. On the evening of August 25th, 1974, the U.S. Air Defense Radar Systems detected an unidentified flying object about to cross into American airspace coming up from the Gulf of Mexico. The object was tracked at speeds of up to 2,500 miles per hour at an altitude of 75,000 feet. Continuing on this trajectory, the object will enter U.S. airspace over Corpus Christi, Texas, my home city, coming from the Gulf of Mexico. At first, it was thought that the object might be a meteorite, However, the object was tracked turning and leveling at 45,000 feet, then to approximately 20,000 feet, staying at each level for around five minutes before veering off again. It then reportedly slowed its speed to around 1,900 miles per hour. Two United States military radar stations tracked the object while it made its descent from Corpus, NAS Corpus Christi, which is the naval air station located in the city, and one in El Paso. The object was then tracked furthering, entering Mexican airspace approximately 40 miles south of Brownsville, Texas. U.S. air defense radar continued to track the object until it disappeared once again from radar near the town of Cayome in the state of Chihuahua, Mexico, not far from the U.S. border. There, the object suddenly disappeared from the radar screens, and it was assumed to be crashed. About an hour later, U.S. intelligence was monitoring Mexican airwaves and found that the Mexican federales had started searching for a missing airplane that was en route to Mexico City, presumed to have been hit by the UFO. At about 10.30 a.m., a report came over the radio that the wreckage of the plane and that of a second aircraft had been found in the desert a couple of miles away from each other. This second aircraft was circular in shape, in one piece, 
and only slightly damaged. A few minutes later, a radio silence on all search activity was ordered by the Mexican military. The U.S. government would allegedly retrieve the UFO wreckage and take it back to the States to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And um, the people responsible for that are a group known as uh, Blue Hat and uh, Pounce, or Blue Team and Pounce. And uh, that is actually something that Bill Cooper talks about, these teams existing and operating like Yellow Fruit and Area 51. They're military special force units, typically Air Force uh, paratroopers or um, Army Rangers, Delta Force types, that seize crashed UAPs and UFOs rapidly and extradite them to top secret locations, typically in the deserts like White Sands, uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base, Area 51, what have you. These are these teams are reported, and the encounter is quite controversial, as I mentioned before, because the details surrounding it include all the first responders in the Mexican military being reported dead or, or having died, uh, either through contact with a dangerous um, UFO either an extraterrestrial the UFO itself are being uh, liquidated by the American special forces uh, who arrived on scene because um, the agreement is that the Americans um, have the right to all UFO technology this is something that goes into deep lore with uh, Cold War type UFO politics in Roswell and onward X-Files talks extensively about that the, the fact that when they are seizing a UFO, they will shoot to kill and ask and, and not ask questions. Now, that's something that's highly controversial, but also reported as the Mexican Roswell because it's a confirmed crash that happened and covers over Corpus Christi, Texas, recorded on the, um, the, 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 the UFO disclosure circuits. Now, the second one in the area, right in the, off the coast of Corpus Christi in the Gulf of Mexico, happened from a supply ship off an oil rig. So no local community was next to it. It was 80 miles off the coast, southeast of Corpus Christi. Uh, on March 21st, 2017, an offshore supply ship crew came forward with claims of seeing a UFO reportedly around 12,000 feet wide in the Gulf of Mexico, around 80 miles southeast of Corpus Christi. Close to 7 p.m. on March 21st, just before dusk, myself and four of the other crew members aboard our vessel saw a craft that appeared to be five times our 240-foot vessel in length. My line of sight was about a quarter mile from our vessel. There was a rig behind the craft about one-half mile. I used this to help gauge the size of the craft. Sightings was approximately 80 miles southeast of Corpus Christi, Texas. The scene lasted about 40 seconds. The craft rose up out of the water, the Gulf of Mexico, about 40 feet. No water was dripping from the craft. Within a split second, the craft disappeared at a 30-degree angle from the sky. Speed appeared to be faster than speed of light turning on in a room. Within seconds, it had disappeared completely. I can say for sure that the craft was dark-colored, oval in shape, and made no sound whatsoever. With as many as two oil rigs in line of sight, there has to be more witnesses than just the four crew on our vessel. And that is the all there is to that sighting. And it just goes to show, like that last one specifically, that in the modern day, 2017, that men 
of means with employment and jobs and high, you know, risk, high, high intellectual fields, right, respectable fields, oil rig fields, can have an encounter that they don't record, that they can't take photos of because the brevity of it, the, the encounter of it is so unexpected and so uh, incredible that one can only be stunned and try their best to observe it. And even though only one person may report it, or even four people report it, the implications are that there must just has to be recorded video of it, or at least other eyewitnesses that aren't coming forward, that aren't becoming known, because like this sighting, a 1,200-foot-wide UFO appears from the ocean and zooms off at the speed of light. Not, not, I mean, yes, it was literally in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of the ocean, but not without hundreds of people around it. And yet it was only seen by four people, and only within 40 seconds. This whole operation took less than a minute for it to exit the ocean and zoom off speed of light. And this is something that people have to recognize when thinking about this phenomenon. That just because it's 2017 and everyone's got cell phones in their pockets, and I'm pretty sure this guy had a cell phone in his pocket, doesn't mean that you're quick enough to draw that sucker out, press camera mode, zoom in and get a high quality video of it. Because sometimes it's it happens in a blink of an eye, and you're left there with your jaw open, you know, just hoping someone else can confirm what you saw. And in this case, he was lucky to have four other people, you know, three other people besides himself, you know, because I'm sure if he had seen it alone, he might think he was, he might just keep it to himself. Like, you know, if he was literally... Second guess, you'd say, question yourself. Did you, what was known as a hallucination, because it leaves no physical evidence, and it seems to be... Like magic, like like it was just yeah. forty seconds of your life that you will never be able to explain. Yeah. And, and it, it does it does almost paralyze you in a sense, where you're so in wonderment, going, "What the heck is this that I'm viewing? I don't even think I can grab my phone and press record." Yep. Because it, it's paralyzing. Yep. So, but it, you it's, have four counts of that. I mean, that's one you got to have a lot of respect for people who are telling you the best that they can about a situation. Right. This is clearly right. and as honestly as they can because to ask for anything more than that is to literally not grasp the the nature of the subject, which is, yes, if they... If, <laughs> if this was anything, anything else, you could ask for, you know, oh, why didn't you take a photo of it? Because once you're there, you know that it's it's... The best thing you can do is just keep your eyes open. You know, the exactly. best thing you can do is just try to remember as many details as you can. And this one, 12,000 feet, dark, oval, came out of the ocean and flew away fast. Yeah. And, and, and that's as best as he could do. And he wasn't a man that you would say was, you know, a stumble bomb or a, a, he was a real, like, he was a crew on an oil rig. He's like, like sure. you can only hope for the best, right? He's like, you can only ask a man to try his best, and with he gave it. It's like he gave his account. Now, here is the mass sighting from Houston. The last one, the last one will be a mass sighting from Houston. 
This happened in 2014. It happened over the Highway 6 of Houston. It happened uh, in clear view of everyone that was watching. They filmed it, many dozens of films. It was posted online, on Vine, on YouTube. It had the attention of the local news uh, to such they made a, a press release about it, right? Now, here's the press release. It's two minutes and includes some evidence from it. This goes to show that incidences like the Phoenix Lights, which are UAPs seen over cities, what we would call the best case scenario. You can't ask for anything better than a UFO to be seen over a major city by as many people as possible, recorded from as many angles as possible, over as long of a course as possible, and then to have the attention of the town crier, basically, the town chorus that tells the news, the events, for history to always have, be able to pull up that on this date, this happened, these people saw it, you know, the news, it, like, that's the importance of it, right, to get in front of people. This is the, it's happened in 2014. I have not heard anyone talk about this in the mainstream. I have not heard uh, uh, anyone, and not to, not to discredit anyone by saying that they aren't talking about it on purpose, but that this is something, like, just because the Phoenix Lights happen, they can happen every year, they can happen every day and every month. It becomes to the point that unless you're paying attention, then you'll always... And it'll always miss it. You'll always miss these major events. And people always ask, what's the next big sighting? What's the next big thing that's going to prove? When are the UFOs going to fly over New York City? When are they going to fly over Washington, D.C.? When are they going to land at the White House? When are they going to just going to show up, stop hiding? This, like 2014, they flew over the city without a care in the world. And I have dozens of, of videos from Houston, actually. Houston's my favorite UFO hotspot. It's the fourth largest city in the world. Uh, not the world. The fourth largest city in America. Sorry. The fourth lo the world is America to Americans. I got you. America. It's just the world. The world is America. No, no. But yeah, the fourth largest city in America. It's right next to Chicago. It's right next to L.A. It's right next to NYC in terms of culture and in terms of population. These people are savvy. They're modern. They're hip. They got money. They got technology. They're not rubes. They didn't fall off turnip trucks. These are doctors, surgeons, bankers. These are people seeing it, right? I was like, these aren't. This isn't um, stumble. Like this isn't uh, you know um, cactus, uh, cactus prick. You know, East Texas or West Texas with like five people and they're all cousins. No, this is Houston, Texas, right? Space City. You know what I'm saying? This is the Candy Space Center. This is NASA. This is. You know, one of the best cities in the world, right? Yeah. So, we are going to watch now the, the two-minute, 47-second news video that was dedicated, the two minutes that was dedicated on primetime news for this event. Ryan Forsgaard with those mysterious lights over Houston. If you were on your phone overnight or early this morning, you might have seen some images on Twitter that might have looked something like a UFO, was it? Show. What does that look like? Oh, that really doesn't like a UFO. A UFO? 
You can find a lot of things flying through the halls of the Houston Museum of Natural Science, but a real answer as to just what you see in these Twitter pictures is a mystery. I think the trick in UFOs is figuring out what else they could be. It's easy to say, oh, that's the aliens. Dr. Carolyn Summers is the vice president for astronomy at the museum. She investigates and is writing a show about UFOs. If it's a real object, and it looks like it is. The more people who see it in different directions, the more likely we are to figure out where it is, what it is, and see if we can actually explain it. She says these pictures taken from spots all over our area could help determine what happened. She said our rough weather Monday night could play a role, but for now, whatever you see here is a UFO, simply unidentified. Yeah, all the way back to the beginning of the quarter history, they're going to be things we can't explain. That's what makes it exciting. So was it simply a light over the highway or something else? Well, that's for you to decide. Ryan Courtyard, KPRC, Local 2. As you can see, clearly very high in altitude in the cloud cover. It's huge. It's multiple lights ringing around a very obvious cloaked object that's seen across from many different angles in the city. They are under they are underestimating how many times it was photographed. It was photographed hundreds of times, dozens of videos posted online, and it's clear. Yes, it's 2014 clear, but you can't ask for any clearer than that. And yes, it was a storm, but that's not ball lightning, and that's not a reflection of a highway street lamp, because many people saw this who like, were not on the highway. See, that was the best photo of it. It's a circle inside a light with three lights associated to it. You can't and it's over, not the highway, but this case, an apartment. There's no, there's no connection to the highway in that video. And so, the explanation that they gave, skeptics did, fall flat. And yes, uh, I agree that you have to decide for yourself, but at that point, if you can't read the writing on the wall and see that that was not, uh, you know, debunkable, that was clear, smoking gun... Red-handed evidence of a Phoenix light event. It was nighttime. It was a circular light. Phoenix light event type, and and the reason why it was so seen very little is because realistically, I've lived in Houston. It's a very busy city, like New York, like Chicago, and many people are just looking at each other, looking at their phones, or just working, and they can't look up. Those that was seen by commuters. That was seen by the lucky few on a smoke break. But even then, ranges into the hundreds of people who saw it. Now, the Phoenix Lights have us beat because the governor, uh, Kurt Russell... Sorry about that, that was bugs. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in basically the wild here of South Texas and shrubland. That was a beetle that flew at me. A June bug. <laughs> it's it's June. He picked up. Yeah, it was, no, it was a June bug, and it'll come right at you. They, they have no... They will crawl into your mouth. That's where they want to lay their eggs is inside your mouth. No, they, wherever you are, they'll fly at you. They'll fly right into your mouth. Don't... You can save that for one of your conspiracy videos, because that could be... <laughs> no, that's just the thing. It's, it's like if you're on your phone or smoking a cigarette, and, and everyone learns this lesson, something will fly in your mouth. <laughs> Like that, like that news clip where the guy's talking and the grasshopper. It's like if you're in the country long enough, you someone will fly in your mouth. Oh yeah. <laughs> someone. Well, like, 
Minnesota, you know, I'm in Minnesota, and we have our mosquitoes, and they're our, our state bird. Exactly. So, you know. No, you get it. You get it. No, I have a, a bug zapper on right off, right off screen that actually takes care of the mosquito problem. And, uh, no, absolutely. I got to have mosquito netting over my bed and stuff when I'm back here. Uh, nice. I've already thought about that. No, that's, you're just in the south. And that's the thing. You're in the south. You're basically in Mexico. <laughs> so, just like, you know, we have big spiders. We got big roaches that fly. You got, like, big dinosaur bugs. But, no, but that's beyond the point. Um, what I'm saying, though, is that these cases are as important as each other. But Phoenix Lights have us beat when it comes to the star power because so many people in so many important positions in the Arizona, you know, hierarchy, the elite society of Arizona, uh, saw it. Texas, it seemed to be memory hold. And I'm pretty sure important people saw it, and the military must have known about it. What The question I have is that. This is over the fourth largest city in America. There are National Guard bases and military bases all in the area. There's an Air Force station that's the, literally the, the major Air Force training area in San Antonio. Why weren't jets scrambled? Why wasn't there a response, a serious response, by the government, specifically Homeland Security and specifically the military, the Pentagon, after a case like this, why are UFOs or UAPs, regardless of what they are, treated with ridicule instead of as a national security threat? Because in the age of the global war on terror, uh, you know, cartels, the way it's working, nothing should be flying that's unidentified over innocent civilians in a city of four million people. There should be so much radar between the the international airports, of which there are two, Hobby International and Bush International Airport. There are two international airports in Houston. None of their radar techs, none of their radar traffic controllers claim to have seen anything nor came forward, which I'm assuming they were covering up anything they had. None of the Air Force National Guard bases, none of the U.S. Navy stations, the weather stations, but it, yet it's there. Yet it's undeniably there. And that's the thing with these mass sightings is that that is the last big UFO cover-up. Um, and, and I think that's the last old dinosaur way of thinking. Uh, that, like, Larry King asked Jeremy Corbell and uh, Bob Lazar while they were advertising their UFO documentary that they made over Bob Lazar uh, last recently, right? 2017, or 2018. They, Larry King was interviewing for RT, and he said, why don't UFOs just land in New York City? Why don't they fly over New York City? Jeremy Corbell said they did. And it was that. It, it, there's no way it are. They do. They fly over major cities every single year. Not every single night, maybe, but every single year, a city of over a million people will have a mass UFO sighting, and Increasingly, there are no military responses. There are no military countermeasures. There are no military account. There's no military accountability. There's no military responsibility for these incidences. Just like in the Phoenix Lights, like yes, they say, oh, um, they were F-16s flying that day. National Guard were practicing, but we know, we know that that wasn't the case. That that UFO, whatever it was, flew without 
anyone trying to stop it. No missiles were fired at it. There was no alarm sounded. You know, either they know what's going on, and by they I mean the government, they know. The powers to be, the Pentagon, absolutely know the nature of these things, which I'll leave that to your decision. Uh, I've said before, like, the the Israeli uh, Space Defense Secretary and... um, the Canadian Prime Minister, or the former Canadian Minister of Defense, have gone out and said that the governments are much more aware of who's piloting these and for why, because they're in on it, or that, uh, you know, maybe it's one of ours. Maybe, maybe it's ours. Maybe the whole thing is us. And, and these are all high tech military projects, black projects, that one day. If we're lucky, we will be told about when they're declassified, when the declass happens, when disclosure happens. But, yep. you know, I think that's even a, a, a more incredible thing. Because how did we get that technology? Why did we decide to keep it secret? And why did we decide to make craft out of it? Who's piloting these craft? Who gets to decide who pilots these craft? Who get who? Exactly, like that's what I'm saying. Like who gets, who gets the keys who gets the keys to the ufos the 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 ssp craft the the flying triangles the tr3b's the the flying saucer motherships you know the drones who's the one in charge and that's what they need to answer the pentagon when they come out with these investigations they oh we'll get answers we'll get answers clearly you must have answers clearly you must because you're not scared of these things. Or they cannot keep up with the hypersonic abilities that they have, and they just allow them to hover and stay where they are to try and observe them. That's the only other real option, I would say. Yep. They're just allowing it to happen because they are aware, and they cannot keep up with the hypersonic speeds that these Yep. produce. Because, like, we go back to the 1950s account in the B-29, those were moving at 5,000 to 9,000 miles per hour. If the Air Force knew that those operate off the coast of Houston or on the Gulf of Mexico, and with the many eyewitness accounts in the area, because all these accounts happened within the same coastal regions, clearly the the powers to be, the men in black, the Pentagon, the home, whatever agencies, CIA, FBI, have files files on Texas UFOs that clearly state that on the Texas coast of Gulf of Mexico UFOs operate with immunity and they operate with such frequency as to be as yeah. to be a I got you. yeah as to be just undeniable like say un- unstoppable undeniable uncontainable yes. exactly and that that even adds to further questions. Do they have a base here? Is there a base in the Gulf of Mexico? Uh, is there a base in underground Texas? Um, what is the relationship of this region to them? Are they here for the people? Are the, is, are they were they here before the people? And that uh, exactly how does this all relate? And see, there's every answer opens up ten more questions, and then it it just goes into these rabbit holes. But yeah, that was my selection of cases without a lot of physical evidence, but from Texas, from the Gulf of Mexico, where I'm from, and and just kind of to share the, the UFO hotspot that this area is. I feel it doesn't get a lot of love. I feel it's very neglected. 
And I feel like a lot of it is just because, you know, we need to, we need to do a better job ourselves at promoting these sightings, these experiences, which, like I said, none of these were mine, none of these came from me, these were all either MUFON, Nightcap, or posted on blogs, like, uh, you know, specifically UFO research blogs, like from Blue Book, etc. So the evidence is there. Anyone wants to do the research, do some Google food, do some legwork. Blue Book, like I said, it's been around since the 50s. You know, FOIA requested all of that's free to research. MUFON database is a little bit harder to find, but there's a lot of ways to find those cases. And really, it just takes a love for the subject to not be like, oh, I just want photos, I just want videos, I just want this, I just want everything handed to me. Well, if you really like the, and respect the subject, you will listen to what people have to share. And only when people's ears are open can they actually make up their mind, you know? You gotta let the info in. Absolutely, and it's through your journalism that, you know, you can share these unique uncensored videos of uh, various subjects of UAP, UFO, SUP, and, uh, yeah, everybody go follow Michael. He's top-secret Texan. Um, you know, he's got a, a merch, he's got merch on his link tree. You can find it on myspreadshop.com, beyondtopsecrettexan.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing these testimonials. It's been such an incredible time. No problem. No problem, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. I'm very lucky. It's my pleasure and my privilege. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Like she said, check me out on Linktree. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Text is the only link you're going to need. All my social media is on there. I post daily on Instagram and Twitter. Check me out. Follow, subscribe for stories, media, videos, all that. And listen to my podcast for my own investigations and my theories about this incredible subject as well as my life experiences as a UFO contactee and survivor. So thank you all very much. Okay, I think she might have froze on that one. But it was incredible. It was incredible talking to her. Absolutely. And that was UAP stuff. So yeah, UAP experiencer stuff. Incredible. It was great sharing everything out. Oh no, I think she might have froze up for good. Oh, well, we just got this one.